Welcome back to the Big Acronym Podcast. This is the second part out of three of Stephen and I having a nice long conversation about lots of things church. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the meaning? Are you have you come to any conclusions about anything? Have you found have you found something insightful and new? Yeah, like I don't like this church I'm going to right now, like for example Where do you go now? I'm going to Wilmington Friends Meeting. Oh, okay. Um, downtown Wilmington, so I can like walk. What to were you it. doing at Mason? Um, so it's this it's this group, um, and I I discovered them like when I was at UC, uh-huh. and they basically create conver- they facilitate conversations between the LGBTQ community and the church. Okay. And so they don't take a theological position uh-huh. on it, um, but they basically just act as like a place for dialogue. Hmm. So it's like a, what do they call that? Um, like a town hall meeting kind of thing? Um, it, it's is set it, up more like a Bible study. Is it done in a church? No, it's it's not. It's, totally it's independent. universal thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's based in Cincinnati. And it's not meant to be a an, any kind of debate. It's just, let's talk together and... Yeah, it's mainly about like building relationships. Okay. Because a lot of what you run into with like churches that like develop these policies about oh. like like marriage equality right. is that they don't have relationships with people that are gay. Mm-hmm. And so this is a mode where you can have that. Because mm. otherwise like how would you right. yeah. run into people like that? And so I would use that as an argument to say if why would it ever need to come up in a worship setting? Like why would it ever matter what anybody's sexual preference is if we're there for worship, you know? Yeah. Like, should it ever matter if the person next mm-hmm. to me has sex with the same gender? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, well, same with Boy Scouts, like, you know, uh, or, or bathrooms, any of it. Like, yeah. Um, this guy wants to be a Boy Scout leader, but he's gay. Well, I don't think any Boy Scout leader should be having sex with anybody. And, the, like, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, why, why is it yeah. ever coming up yeah. that we're... Uh-huh. I, I I wouldn't want you know a, like mm-hmm. well, we should really have a heterosexual male leading our men our boys because mm-hmm. I, no it, yeah. it's it should never even be an issue you mm-hmm. know that's I'm sorry that's yeah well we're well, two tangents off of well, yeah we are two I don't remember what I was talking about <laughs> I was asking about that. what church you went to and then I went off on this whole thing of where why you were in Mason and oh yeah you, you can get back to the church in a minute well yeah you know it's really sad too because like. This group and like, I've also like been a part of like a LGBT group with uh, Crossroads Church too, which is now disbanded. But it was almost like every every time you'd meet, someone would share a story about how they were kicked out of the church band, mm-hmm. or like someone who somebody had some sort of staunch principle that yeah, or really someone do this thing or right, or someone who had an employment position at a church and they felt like threatened mm-hmm. like by their job or something. And whenever people would bring up these these stories, everyone else in the group would be like, "Oh, yeah." Like they were numb to it because it happened so often. Mm-hmm. And it's like like if if more people like knew about this kind of stuff happening, like I I feel like more people would be upset about it. <laughs> like and you have all these churches that are missing out on really gifted people. Yeah. Because of their sexual preferences, right. their gender identity. Because they just make some sort of blanket statement that, well, yeah. okay, this is this is the way they are, and we're not allowed to do this. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I just, I, I, I've changed a lot in that too. I mean, there was a point when I was very like I would, I would just put up a wall immediately. Like you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you're gay and you want to come into the church, like well. Okay, we'll welcome you in because mm. the church is supposed to be welcoming. You welcome people yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's we want, welcome. We want you to know that you're welcome here. Yeah. Are you feeling welcome here? Okay, I'll check with you in ten minutes if you're still welcomed here, because we want you to feel welcomed here. <laughs> yeah. And that's as far as it ever goes. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And I I remember being in that phase and like, okay, this is the this is the face I have to put on because this is like the PR position from the church. And this is what they need oh, to see yeah. from the outside so that they feel welcomed. And finally, I'm just like, okay, why why are we worried so much about the welcoming side? Like, if we really are just genuine to, I want to worship, and they want to worship, mm-hmm. I shouldn't ever really have to think about them having, like, we're all sinners. We we all have some sin. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. keeping something from him. He can keep something from me. Uh-huh. We could be open with our sins and mm-hmm. be, we'd be out with it. He may argue that what he's doing is not a sin, and I may argue that th- stuff that I'm doing is not a sin. Either way, we have sin, mm-hmm. so why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just worship because we want to worship and not, mm-hmm. you know, okay, I can't worship with him because <laughs> why should it ever come up, yeah, you know? Yeah, I'm sorry. It, uh, whatever. Yeah, I don't, so, like, backtracking a, a little bit more because... I have to explain to you, like, why I'm going to Quaker church. <laughs> it's a wonderful story, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, so, yeah, so the Wilmington Friends Meeting is a Quaker church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know this, I know this, as far as we've, like, like Wilmington has always been a Quaker town. Right. Um, but I didn't really start to think about it until, like, recently when I moved back. Mm-hmm. And so I recently moved back to Wilmington. And... I was like, oh, I'll go to the Quaker church. Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what I want to do now mm-hmm. and, like, like spiritually. Backtrack to um, 2016. What totally, like, I guess let's backtrack to 20, 2013 when, well, like, I go, I go to college. I, I start college and everything. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, newsflash, a lot of the college students that actually go to church in college are super devout <laughs> compared to like what we had in youth group yeah. was, it was just like, we just went to church because like our parents made us go to church right. and then our friends went to youth group. So like I would go to youth group too. Right. And so you get to college and the only college You're free that, to do anything you want in college. Yeah. And so most of the people that I was used to hanging out with weren't going to church. Right. And so I'd find myself in these circles where they were just way more fundamental than I was in a lot of these beliefs. And I'm mm. like, I feel really out of place and I don't understand why. Mm. Um, and so like throughout college too, like I struggled uh, like a lot with, um, with my sexuality and that also made it really hard to like fit into like any church where people like, like, we're not going right. to accept me. Yeah. And so it, I get to 2016, and, like, I'm dating this girl at the time, and I'm, like, I'm, like, having this huge crisis with my, with my sexuality. I'm, like, I, I, like, feel attracted to men, mm-hmm. and I don't, like, like, the scriptures say that, right, like, right, that's, right. like, not okay. And right. I, like, wrestled with it a ton. And 
I'm not saying like everyone has to believe this. It's just my experience. But I felt like I hit a wall where I kept reading like these explanations for like these like letters that like Paul mm-hmm. was writing, and like in Leviticus. Yeah. And like, there's always would, a lot in Leviticus. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And when they talk about like gang rapes and everything, uh-huh. and then. I, I like read all explanations and I'm talking to like church leaders and they're like setting me up with these people who are like practicing celibacy mm-hmm. um, that are gay. Yeah. Um, I've actually heard a podcast about. Oh, really? Don't, yeah. I don't remember who it was, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I had a friend at the time um, who um, was like 100% gay and he was struggling with it. He was. Um, serving in a church mm-hmm. and he's like yeah i don't feel like i can like talk about this but it's right. like also none of their business and at the time i was going to this other church where the pastor like i would talk to the pastor about like the stuff i was struggling with and he was like if you and your friend want to meet um this guy goes to our church that um is um like married to a woman, but he's gay. Like he can hmm. tell you about his story. Okay. And I'm like, okay, so I, I bring my friend and we sit down and talk to him and he's telling us about like how he just like repressed his like sexuality and it's like like God's purpose for him mm-hmm. to It's a fascinating world. It's like, such a subculture. Yeah. I, but it's it's not it's just now surfacing. Like people in this I had no idea that there are people like until I heard that podcast about it. Like, oh, really? I, d- I didn't realize that there was, that there was somehow a way to categorize something like that. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. They they put it into like two main categories, like side A and side B. Mm-hmm. Side A is like like gay is okay, and like wow. side B is like yeah, you can be gay, but it's not biblical to be in a relationship with the same right. gender. Right. And there's side X, which is like you can like pray the gay away essentially. That you can okay. be ungay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like you can deconvert from being gay. Right. Right. Um, which isn't really based in science, mm-hmm. but so I digress with like meeting with this guy with like my good friend at the time. I remember like walking out of that meeting with him, and it completely like destroyed my friend. Like seeing the look on his face, like the from, idea like, what he had grown up with, and just. Well, just the idea of him, like, being celibate oh, okay. or spending his life with a woman uh-huh. when, like, knowing him, he's a hopeless romantic. Uh-huh. Like, he, he's, he was made for a partner. Right. And there was no way he was going to date a woman. Right. And right. so it's like, a, it's like a death sentence. Like, yeah. no one wants to be alone. There are movies about that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. like what's he going to do? Yeah. It's yeah. like... And it was after that I was like, yeah, this whole Christianity thing, like, <laughs> this does not look like it's very fun. And so in in 2016, I just felt like, like, I, I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, I need to, like, figure this stuff out. I broke up with God at the time. Yeah. I was, I just, I was like, if this is how God is, like, I don't really want to believe right. in him. And so I just became agnostic, I guess, mm-hmm. and went to India. And it was like I lost everything. It's like I lost my friends, my family, my girlfriend, my mm-hmm. faith. And all of a sudden, I was just, like, in this other country. Mm-hmm. I could be whoever I wanted to be. We had a new president at the, at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a clean slate. And 
I almost wish I could go back just to learn, like, be more open to the culture because at the mm-hmm. time, like, I was, I, I felt like like a staunch atheist. Like, I was reading, like, Friedrich Nietzsche, right. like, God is Dead and everything. Right. Like, I was, like, hiking in Nepal reading, th- like, thus spoke th- Zarathustra. Like, it was, like, super yeah, emo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, like, reading, like, a, a lot of this, like, philosophy and then... Like, you were, you were actively going out of your way. Yeah. To oh. Be, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and... And this is stuff, like, I would, like... At the time, I would rather, like... I, I, I identify as, like, bisexual now, but I would have rather, like, came out to my parents and tell them I was agnostic. <laughs> okay. Oh, like... <laughs> All right. So... So I, I get back from India and everything, and I, um, I come out to, like, I come out to like Mary Alice, Nathan, mm-hmm. um, my dad, and my mom. Um, I haven't told Caroline yet. <laughs> she's kind of. I don't know that she's listening. So yeah, I, she might listen to this in a couple of years. Maybe. But. She's pretty grown up. Yeah. yeah. She's in high school. I know. Yeah. Keep going. I'm sorry. Um. Yeah, so it, like, came out to my family, and, um, in the fall, I took this, like, internship, um, in Columbus, and I worked with this person that totally changed my perspective on Christianity, mm-hmm. and the person was, uh, queer, too. They identified as agender, uh, non-binary. <laughs> There's too many names. Yeah, and so... <laughs> I, I stopped trying. <clears throat> they just don't identify as like a certain gender okay um they just whatever they but, are there yeah so they grew up in the evangelical world okay. like me yeah um they had like the whole background of being queer and then they deconverted from evangelicalism became agnostic for a while okay and then they discovered like different ways of reading the bible um like where you look at it through a more contextual approach than a literal approach mm-hmm reading it more as, um, I don't want to say mythology, mm-hmm. but really pulling the meaning out of it more than it, what you could do if you're reading it literally. Right. Yeah, I follow you. Um, so he introduced me to people like Rob Bell, who wrote, he like yeah. wrote some really controversial stuff about sure. like, well, is, is hell real? Yeah. And so I started looking at that, like, oh, what does the Bible actually say about hell? Mm-hmm. Because for me, like the, the sexuality thing totally cracked open yeah, the Bible for yeah. me. I was like, there's no way this is going to be a you're, loving You faith. broke one barrier down and it just makes the whole thing break down. You yeah, start, and you start then, seeing everything. Yeah, and so then you're like, well, what else isn't true in mm-hmm. the Bible? That's why... Or I, what else isn't what you've grown up like assuming it has yeah. to be? Yeah, and that, that's why I think like questioning in biblical inerrancy with people is so existentially frightening. Mm-hmm is you see people when when you say like well maybe like the earth wasn't created in seven days and a lot of people feel like existentially threatened yeah it's like an error in a program like yeah it can't it can't be a different way and if it is your entire system's broken yeah the the entire system and that's understandably really scary for people sure um especially if you if you approach all of it with a this is what God says, so it's a black and white, and this is, this is the fact, and this is the... Yeah, how can you, know, you argue with God? Yeah, yeah. It's, they can get people in trouble. Yeah. Well, and I feel like a lot of people 
aren't really faced with like reckoning with that sort of thing until mm-hmm. they like something comes up with like their sexuality or some really traumatic event happens to them and they say why would god right let like why would god good like take my child away good, good if he's all powerful right. yeah so it's stuff like that that cracks it open for people yeah. and i think a lot of times it just takes one traumatic event to totally deconstruct the whole thing mm-hmm. yeah i agree yeah. uh and it's never the same traumatic event for anybody but you know, no. you need something that like you have to feel vulnerable and then as soon as you feel vulnerable, it's like, okay, well, like, wh- like we're, if a person never cries and then finally they cry and then it's like opening a floodgate or whatever and they just keep crying, mm-hmm. it's like that. Like you mm-hmm. become vulnerable and you realize, okay, I do have a vulnerable side. Now let's let it all out. And like you start oh, soaking yeah. in anything that mm-hmm. you were holding a wall against before. It's like, all right, just let it all go and mm-hmm. let's see where, let's just remold from the beginning and see mm-hmm. where we are now. So, yeah. And the process is terrifying. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if everybody else that you're connected to or anybody else that you'd be talking with is still walled up. Yeah. Because they can be isolating. Yes. Yeah. And that's usually where the church is with all of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and there's the fear, like when you're in a faith community or married to someone mm-hmm. and you feel like you're not allowed to have these sorts of questions for fear that they'll disown you. Yeah. Or you'll you'll lose the connection you have with right. your family or your your wife or your husband, mm-hmm. and that can be that can prevent a lot of people from thinking about these sorts of things too. Yeah. And that that's it's not founded in anything. That's it's ridiculous to think that you could live your entire life just being scared to yeah be who you are or whatever because of how someone's <laughs> going to react and mm-hmm. I don't know. yeah seems like, though, it usually is college when you realize these things. Like, that's, like, everybody yeah, comes to this realization, which not... to me makes it seem disingenuous. Like, this just must be something that college people go through because they're in that phase in life where they're questioning everything. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I've always taken a lot of it. Well, not all of it, but mm-hmm. that people, people f- lose their faith in college because that's when they're free to just to see everything and, and mm-hmm. decide they're going to be. And I mean, all of it, you know, it's you're in that phase in life that you can yeah. do that. But now you're a Quaker, so <laughs> yeah. tell, me, tell me about being a Quaker. Yeah, well, so part of it is that I, because especially right now, like my, my beliefs are changing so much and mm-hmm. that happens to most people. Yeah. Um, going to a church where, like, I remember like at one point I almost worked for a church and I turned it down because I couldn't sign their statement of belief. Okay. And every church, especially like in the Church of Christ re- arena and evangelical are- arena, mm-hmm. everyone has a super long list. It's like a constitution. Yeah. And like core core beliefs. I know. Like, yeah. how can you expect every single person to yes. align on all of those? Yeah. I mean, some of the lists are insane. Yeah. There's. It usually goes from from. Like you have the Trinity stuff, yeah, to scriptural inerrancy, mm-hmm. and then from there, baptism, yeah, it, communion. It, it, they get like they have to have Trinity mm-hmm. and scriptural inerrancy, and yeah. then they 
it's like you know what we're going to add on this thing too and mm-hmm. communion has to be done this way yeah. baptism has to be done this way and, yeah and, and then god's marriage plan for is, women yes god's yes. plan for marriage yes and they and all of those Creation. things get added from the experiences they've dealt with and like no we got to set this the way it's going to be and yeah. no it's just like reading like the Ohio Revised Code. Some of the laws in there, you're like, well, someone definitely like <laughs> right. something happened yes. where they're like yeah. outlawing to, to pinpoint like, this thing. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I don't even know that. Like, I I've looked at several of them because, like, I applied for a church very recently mm-hmm. as a youth minister, and like, I looked like you have to agree that you know their their core values or whatever that you mm-hmm. agree to their code. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for the most part, I do, but it. The inerrancy thing is always like it's debatable for me. Like I, mm. I believe in inerrancy or in inspiration. Like I mm. believe that what we have is what God wants us to have. Mm-hmm. But some people define inerrancy as like it's all very literal and it's all very true. I've never mm. believed that the Book of Job was a real story. Like I, I think of it as fiction. It's written like fiction. I don't want to think that Job was a real person. That we have to believe that yeah. he. You know, I, I don't see that that changes anything. Um, but, like, stuff like that, that maybe this moment in this scripture is a story or was something that was, like, added by a person who reviewed the text years later mm-hmm. and they added their thing because it, it jived with their opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, like, maybe maybe somebody that, like, copied the text from copying mm-hmm. the text from copying the text was, like, really against mm-hmm. this one country and he threw them into the list of countries that yeah. were enemies just because, you know, I, there's no way of knowing. And you can't argue that absolutely, yeah. unless you just want to say from faith, I believe uh-huh. in this absolute inerrancy. When logistically, when we, when you know how the text was passed and you know yeah. how we've kept it, mm-hmm. for it to have been exactly word for word from copy to copy, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's safer to say, and I, I'm more inclined to believe that, yeah, humans had their hand in changing what was the original message, the mm-hmm. original scripture of it, mm-hmm. but God didn't let it change to something that, you know, like it still is what it needs to be for us, you know. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way I have to see it. So I don't know that I can always agree with, yes, it's, it is flawless yeah. and inerrant and whatever. Yeah. Um, because it was written by humans and it was yeah. approved by humans. Like guys voted on it and said, yes, this is the canon yeah. we like and this is the way we want it to be. And these verses don't belong mm-hmm. in here and these verses do. And Did you know it was controversial um, when they were canonizing the Bible, like to put Revelation in? Yeah. Like, people were concerned that it would be interpreted wrong. Mm-hmm. And what we have today is all sorts of wild <laughs> interpretations. It really is. You have the whole Zionist movement that yeah. comes out of Revelation. And speaking of Rob Bell, he's he's very firmly, like, he's he looks at Revelation as being, like, this political argument that... Oh, really? This, the stuff that, that John was describing was really just against... It was sort of like the antithesis of where they were in that moment politically. Oh. Um, you know, and, like, the Beast, this whole 666 thing is just, like... It's just imperfect. It's not. It's not a specific beast that has a number written on anywhere where we're, we're going to find this thing with a number. <laughs> it was just a way of saying that this is imperfection. Like this thing that's growing up mm. out of this system is an imperfect thing, mm. because seven 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 will be perfect, but six 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 would be imperfect. And yeah, I, I remember um, reading the whole thing about that. I don't really? remember which, which book that was, but um, that the things that he was describing that were like heaven like were really more 
just like a, an opposing view to the way Rome was at the time or mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, I didn't know he talked about, about Revelation. So it was, it was in just one book. Okay. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but it was one of the ones that we looked at in youth group. Oh. Back before he, he was all controversial. Really? Oh, yeah. We looked at Rob Bell in yeah. youth group? Oh, my gosh. We we watched a couple of um, the NUMA videos. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, which book was that? Was that when he was like a megachurch pastor? Yeah. He was at Mars Hill. Oh, okay. Um, actually, hang on. Let me Let me look real quick. I saw a list of old Rob Bell books, I could tell you. Okay. Um, it was before... <laughs> before Love Wins. Yeah, it was before Love Wins. Um, but maybe I'll put it in the comments afterwards when I look it up and research yeah, it to find that'd out. that'd be cool. I really like that... Recent, he recently did a, a series on Leviticus that mm. I'm really interested to check out. But I really like the stuff he says about Genesis. Like, I could just, like, go through Genesis, like, over and over again. Yeah. But, like, when I, when I first had my, like, faith deconstruction, I guess, I got this, I, I got this, like, annotated Bible with, like, these academic, like, annotations and everything. Mm-hmm. A- these academic commentaries as opposed to, like... You know, like, some, some of these Bibles you read and you're like, I feel like they're, like trying to convince me of something Mm. and at that point I was in I just wanted to read something where I felt like I wasn't being sold right like there's not an agenda to the men study bible that's yeah yeah yeah. so I I got this like academic bible and I started reading through Genesis and it totally blew me away that there's essentially four sources Mm -hmm. that are spliced together like the editor of Genesis who isn't Moses, by the way. <laughs> How could it be? <laughs> like, he literally writes about himself dying. Yeah. Like, he yeah. can't finish the book. Right, like, yeah, that's it's not possible for him to die <laughs> and still be the guy writing. Yeah. yeah. Course, so, that was an exodus, but, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Either way, yeah. I mean, he's he's said to be the whole Pentateuch thing. and Yeah, it's like, where did we get that? That was probably a Bible Bowl answer. That's probably yeah. why I yeah, thought that. Yeah, it must be. I don't know. There, there's a lot of, you know... Whatever. Go yeah, on. Yeah, well, so I'm reading this, and there's four sources, um, and the editor of Genesis basically took all these similar stories of these, like, different tribes and everything, or, like, people within the Israelite world, mm-hmm. and spliced them together. And that's why you have, um, with the creation story, you have two creation stories back-to-back, and they happen in opposite orders. Okay. In one, man's created first, and then everything else comes. In the other one, um, everything happens, and then man's the last to be mm-hmm. created. But when Rob Bell talks about it, he talks about how the Genesis story is so revolutionary because of what it's not. And it wasn't like the other creation stories going around at the time, which mm-hmm. was showing the world created through like God's like fighting or having yeah, sex or right, like body yeah. biting off like genitalia right. and stuff like that. Some sort of physical action that happened that Right. Um, but the the Jewish the Judeo Christian uh Genesis story shows God walking with man mm-hmm. and God creating man and saying this is good. Mm-hmm. 
and you didn't see that in the other creation stories. Right. Which I think once I read that, I was that's what brought me back into the Bible and reading it in a way that like, yes, this is inspired and this is still relevant. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to believe that the earth was created in seven yeah. days. Yeah, it's you you're in pursuit of the answer to why and not the answer to how. Mm-hmm. And that's way more important. I mean, mm-hmm. we we could argue for years about evolution stuff and like yeah. macroevolution and microevolution and mm-hmm. you know, uh, did did the Grand Canyon form over you know millions of years or did the Grand Canyon form from a massive flood that just happened to show this result that looks like millions of years and we've th- the ways that we know to gauge it it comes out appearing yeah. like it took millions of years. I don't know. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, because either way, you still come back to, this is all bigger than us. Like it, the answer is always it's bigger than us. Yeah. And if you can believe that there is something bigger than us, then that's mm-hmm. that's the root of it all. Mm-hmm. And the rest is, you're either focused on pursuing the why and mm-hmm. bettering your life with that thing that's bigger than us, mm-hmm. or you're obsessed with the how and yeah. arguing that and who freaking cares yeah. about the how. I just think if you if you take these stories and like read the Bible as a scientific text, mm-hmm. it takes all the teeth out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not and 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 literally when you if you're doing it in a time period, like when you're mm-hmm. thinking of it, if you think of it in that time. Mm-hmm. Like that, that takes it even one step further that it's, it's the science for them in that mm-hmm. moment. But you yeah. can't, you can't try to make that like, well, it, it says it like this. So let's translate that to today and say, you know, like, yeah. like, I mean, for example, like the, like the running water stuff, there's a scripture in the old Testament about like making sure that you wash your hands and running water. And like, and that's, that's a really cool way of saying, Hey, look, even back then the Bible knew that running water was better than stagnant water and that, you know, you're going to get germs off with running water. Yeah. But at the same time, the Old Testament also talks about how the moon gives us light. And if <laughs> if the running water is going to be ingenious to helping wash off the hands, we can't at the same time argue that those the people who knew that the running water was good for your getting rid of the germs should also have been scientifically inclined to know that the moon didn't actually give off light. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... We hold on to some that work mm-hmm. and some that don't, and it, it'll end up in an argument somewhere. Yeah. If you if you stick to that, like, hey, look, this is proof of this. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually somebody's like, well, hey, it also says this, and yeah, we we shouldn't try to look at it like that. Mm-hmm. We really shouldn't. I feel like we we took a break and now it's like it's it's like slowed down and <laughs> like we were just like ramping oh, higher and higher oh, faster yeah. and it's. It's it's not fizzled, but it shifted gears. Yeah. Maybe I just got sleepy. I don't know. Well, now we're just talking about, like, <laughs> why are we here? Yeah. Which is all good stuff, but I, I, I have to reduce it down to that now. And, like, you know, this youth group we're starting, I, I'll never work for another church again. I just I don't see it happening. I, I really, I mean, I, I thought for a little while, like, maybe I can accept this, and I tried to make it make sense in my head, and then... And then after they said, you know, we're looking at other people, we're going to pursue other options, I'm like, okay, good. That's that's probably better that way. When was the last time you worked for a church? I work for a church right now. Oh, but really? not as a youth minister. Like, I haven't been in ministry since Sabina. Oh, really? Yeah. Be, and it's all because that's wow. my marketable skills. Like, on, on, on paper, on a resume, mm-hmm. the best way for me to sell myself is 
in a Christian environment because I have a Christian college background and I've worked for churches and Christian bookstores and ministry resources. And like, so my, Mm -hmm. my resume is a Christian, (laughs) like media resume Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I, I usually just end up like, I guess settling and saying, this is going to be the best chance of me getting a job is to, to go to the church. So when we needed money, like we were, we needed an extra like 10 grand a year to really like feel like we were okay with our bills. Mm -hmm. I just, we hadn't, we weren't in a church anywhere. Like we weren't in a congregation specifically. And, um, we found a a Methodist church near us that was, we went and checked them out to make sure they weren't like cuckoo or weird. Mm -hmm. Um, everything seemed pretty normal. Like we disagree on a couple of things, but I mean, United Methodist. Yeah. It's a UMC. Um, but they were hiring an associate pastor, which turned into a media role because, because I wasn't in their system. I'm not, I can't be called a pastor because I didn't go through the Methodist, oh, yeah. the thing that makes you a, a quote unquote yeah. pastor. Aren't mainline churches weird? They are very <laughs> weird. So they had to take the title away from me. So I became the, the director of connectivity, communications, whatever. So I do the website and video and sound and stuff, but I was doing that all anyway. And you preach they, sometimes? I did. Uh, a couple times, and then they took that away. I preached last week, which was like my way to say goodbye to them because I gave my notice that I was leaving. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I've been working there for like six, longer than I was at Sabina. I've been there for like five years, wow. five and a half years, just doing, pushing buttons basically. Mm-hmm. Like no, no, no ministerial influence at all because I'm not Methodist, and they don't want me to be in that kind of a role because wow. I I didn't go through their, whatever it is system to become a Methodist pastor. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not like that, but I've had my camps. So like I do my camp stuff and yeah. I have a ministry on the side and like, it was just, we, we finally just came to this realization that I need to go back and try again to do what we left Sabina to do. Hmm. And even if it's just five kids, it's five kids and that's fine. So but why can't you work for a church? I be, I've seen, I've seen them without their makeup too much. <laughs> like I, I've seen too many of the behind the scenes systems that I can't walk into a church service now. I can't I I don't know that we'll even ever be able to go attend a worship service again as just lay people or whatever, you know, just people walking into a service. Because I you see the gears. Yes, I overanalyze as soon as we walk in the door. Okay, they greeted us because they want to make sure that we saw them at the door and that they greeted us at the door. Mm-hmm. And like everything is for a purpose and everything is intentional. Mm-hmm. And that intention is that we feel welcomed. When we sit down, that the coffee is good, mm-hmm. the worship is excellent quality, and that we want to return again. Yeah. And that we'll want to return there for the rest of our lives. They want to make sure that their numbers stay where they are. Yeah. And if people start to drift away, they have to figure out how to bring them back because it, it, it is gauged as... Mm-hmm a success when your numbers continue to increase and it's gauged as a failure when people leave. Even if those people are leaving to start their own ministries, they don't see it that way. To them, the success is our numbers are expanding. It's a business. It is. Are you familiar with the whole seeker-friendly movement? uh, The seeker movement has destroyed this world. Yeah. I hate the seeker movement, but that's Mm -hmm. that's what this is all... Mm -hmm. um, We have turned the great commission into the seeker movement that people (laughs) believe that their mission is not to go into the world and tell people Mm -hmm. the gospel. They now believe that their mission is to invite people to their sanctuary. 
And that's become, you fulfilled your purpose with God if you invited your neighbor to come to your church service so that they can be wowed by the coffee, wowed by the greeters, wowed by the worship service, and wowed by the sermon and the awesome videos that are happening and want to come back. Mm -hmm. And as long as they do that, you have fulfilled your purpose and mission. Yeah. And that's the way, and, and people argue all the time, well, at least you're bringing them into the church and that's a good thing, but it's not. Yeah. Because you are bringing them in with the presupposition that that's the, that's the truth. And so now they are growing up believing the gospel to be my job is to invite people into this building. Yeah. And you have now not, you have not given them Jesus. You've given them your church, your branded yeah. church. You know, I think the dangerous thing about it, too, is that they're really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and people really love it. Yes. Like, people will stream Crossroads sermons yeah. or they'll stream Vineyard sermons yeah. because it's a brand that they'll consume. And they'll go to churches like like the United Methodist Church down the road, and they'll be like, well, they don't have, like, Yeah, they don't worship. have a nice logo or they yeah, don't have matching shirts. the branding's shirts. not good. Their coffee yeah. isn't that good. Yeah. And it's like... Exactly. That's the kind of stuff that we look exactly. for in churches now. It's yes. like it's like house shopping. Yes. And you don't even know that you're doing it half the time. And mm-hmm. it's because it's so deep into this now that we, like, if someone is a genuine outsider, which doesn't happen a whole lot, that genuine outsider is coming with all of this being bombarded onto them. So mm-hmm. rather than what would have at one time been my neighbor is... They, they're not a believer. They've never heard the gospel. I go to them as a neighbor. We know each other as neighbors. And I share my beliefs with them as a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Because we live in this area together. They are my neighbor. Let's, let's just talk as open human beings. Mm-hmm. I bring them to Christ as my neighbor. Yeah. And then they need somewhere to worship. I invite them to where I'm worshiping at. Yeah. That's so the end goal isn't getting them to church. Right. It's that's just where we both default to because that's a place for us to worship with other believers. Mm-hmm. You don't become you don't become the believer by what has become this thing now is you get pushed into the system that produces you as the believer. Mm-hmm. So you end up following the system and not the God. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like you yeah. you are you're being preached the church you're being preached the worship service yeah. you're being convinced of the message of the preacher and not of the jesus mm-hmm. and i mean it's indirect you know that eventually they get that they they sort of glean it and it and it kind of happens indirectly but because of that's the way it began that's what they do and then after like you know two three generations of people doing that you're left with this shambled thing of people just feeling like they're fulfilling a purpose by inviting people, sending people yeah. a text like, Hey, this is the, yeah. this is the Easter egg hunt we're having, you know? Yeah. Now I feel like I've done my good job as a Christian because I sent a text to my friend to come to the Easter egg hunt yeah. and I didn't use a cuss word when I did it, you know, like, whatever, like that's what it's become. And I could spend a whole hour talking about it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's how like we were like, indoctrinated mm-hmm. in Sunday school like you gotta invite friends yes and what, what I really like what I really like too is a lot of scholars think that like there's not even convincing evidence to say that Jesus came to start a religion mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is crazy to think about yeah I like, can see that all the stuff that he prescribed he wasn't thinking like well I can't wait for like crossroads to right. like pop up in right. Oakley yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, 
Yeah, but it's it's the, like the way of life, like what you're talking about, like yeah. how it's what you do Monday through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was all over this when we were in Sabina. It's just I was, mm-hmm. I was a massive outsider, and I was, mm-hmm. it was like I was speaking just falsehoods by saying anything like this. But mm-hmm. like, you, you know, anybody, anybody that I can ever think of that I remember. Through Sardinia Church of Christ, through Sabina Church of mm-hmm. Christ, through any of the churches of Christ in the country that I was involved in, anybody that ever came forward to be baptized did not come forward based on that system. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They weren't invited to the building and then taught something from the sermon and then led through that message to go forward to be baptized. They were maybe influenced by a message or something they saw there or someone they talked to, but then it went outside of that building and they talked outside yeah. of that building in a very real setting with very real people and then came back into the building because that's where the baptistry was. Mm-hmm. Like they returned back to come forward yeah. after having already had the outside conversation. And that outside conversation is the church. That's the part that should be embraced as the church is yeah. that outside yeah. conversation and not the totally. thing that's happening inside that building. But we've got it all flipped around. Yeah. Um, there's a, I'm actually going two weeks from now, um, there's a guy at CCU He's a professor at CCU that has a house church. His whole family meets together in Price Hill. Oh, okay. And he's there. I guess they're going to be doing some sort of like a like a Christian TED Talk kind of thing, oh. where like they share. They're going to share their style of what they do. It's, it's like they're kind of, they're kind of creating not a movement, but like, it is sort of a, a way of doing worship as like in a home setting. Like mm. where like they write their own music and like they they do their own thing. Wow. Um. And so I'm going to go and film it um, because they're going to use the video to share in this talk, like how how they do what they do and like what makes it what it is. I've definitely seen more house churches mm-hmm. popping up as a response to yeah. the and, whole mega church movement. Yeah, and if if we ever are going to be involved in anything again, it's going to be a house church, I think. Really? Because I just I can't I can't do the system anymore. I can't yeah. I can't be anywhere in that system mm-hmm. knowing that they all have this mindset that the goal is yeah. welcoming, warm, inviting, you know, well, make sure they come back and enjoy it. And So when you're mentioning the, the whole baptism shenanigans too, it made me think about how, I think a lot of this traces back to like how the evangelical world views salvation. Mm-hmm. And take for example, if I believe that like you're going to hell if you don't say like Jesus is the, mm-hmm. like the son of the living God and he like forgives me for my sins and you get dunked. Mm-hmm. If you, that's the Christian, the evangelical Christian view of what it means to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so for us, like if you're an evangelical, it's almost like you're selling these insurance policies. Mm-hmm. Once you dunk them, yeah, like well, you just got to get them to yes, yeah, and then that's it. And then we, and, can, we can all celebrate when they come out of the water. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think what you find in more of like these mainline denominations and like even Catholicism is more of an emphasis on the way of life mm-hmm. and less about like you have to say these words yeah. in a certain order. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a system to it. Yeah. yeah. When in reality, it's about those conversations that happen outside yeah, and, and those conversations continuing to happen, not because you were forced in a time period to do them, but because you genuinely want to live those conversations out in your life, mm-hmm. that you want to continue having those conversations. Yeah. Um, I, we, we've just systemized everything. Mm-hmm. It, it, I just can't do it. Um, 
so yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of stuck. Like, my resume is full of church stuff, yeah, and I don't want to work for a church. So you know, we're going to do this this thing, which may just be a handful of kids, but at least we'll know that we can just be as honest and real as possible and not ever be afraid that an elder is going to be listening and be like, um, we need to have a talk about you saying mm. these things, you know, mm. like, I mean, yeah, I still, I have beliefs and my beliefs mm. are going to kind of like come out and what the way I talk. And since I grew up in this restoration thing, mm. like, I mean, I, I'm definitely, I'm an advocate for baptizing people, but yeah. not, I'm never going to preach and say, let's do this now. And then you do this, and you do this, and you're going to be baptized, and then it's going to be, you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're perfect forever. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and then the water, like, I, 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 I don't, like, I've grown up with all of these restoration people, with all these churches mm-hmm. of Christ and Christian churches that have baptistries, and it's all, baptism is, is very important. And, like, I believe that, that doing outward signs of obedience are important like yeah. making an outward expression is important mm-hmm. but i can't take it to the same level that they've made the water into like it's become it's something else it is yeah. and i don't know how to to stick with the part of the the sacred part of that that i believe is is real and separate that from like still be associated with these groups, you know, like, cause I'm, 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 I would love to baptize people and, you know, I'm, I'm all for it, but I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's just, it's a hot button for me of just struggle. But so you're not going to have a statement of beliefs for this youth You know, <laughs> I feel like I kind of have to, and like you'll see on the board back there behind me, it says FAQ for BA. Do you see that? Oh, yeah, I see that. Okay, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that like that's my statement of beliefs would be on mm-hmm. the website to have a page of, you know, where do you stand out on these mm-hmm. kind of things? Mm-hmm. Where do you stand out on this? Where do you stand out on this? Yeah. And um, not necessarily well, this is our tenants of, you know. Yeah, I guess you would, ha- you would have volunteers, right? Yeah. So you, it's not just you. Right. Okay. Hopefully, eventually, there'll be a decent group, but yeah. if there's not, there's not. I mean, okay. whatever number it is, it is. Mm-hmm. Numbers don't matter. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's quality. It is. But yes, there will be, I mean, you would want everybody to be on the same page, mm-hmm. but um, I I will always stand by the plane crash philosophy, which I explained to your mom, actually. What? Before Mary Alice got married. And like, there was like this like, is it okay for her to marry a Catholic guy? Is this going to be oh, weird? Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm like, I look at it like a plane crash. If if you're next to somebody on a plane and that plane's going down and you've got 30 seconds to explain to them what you believe, what do you say in those 30 seconds? Oh my gosh! Now take that, and if that includes how baptism is done, then it's important. Did it? No, <laughs> it didn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what are the things that absolutely would have to be delivered in a message if you only had 30 seconds to deliver it? Hmm. And the way you do communion would never appear in that. No. You know, the way you dress in church or the way you sing a song, none of those things would ever appear. No. Just straight, outright salvation comes through Jesus Christ and, and accepting and, and believing in your heart. And those are the things that would be in that. Mm-hmm. So if those are the same for Catholic guy and for non-Catholic girl, mm-hmm. then I, I think that's enough. Yeah. You can work out all the differences in marriage. Just, you know, figure it out as you go. Yeah. <laughs> but... 
that's I mean that's where it comes to for me with with a lot of this thing. Um, I, I think baptism is important for the sacred tradition of baptism and showing mm-hmm. that we have to in some way show to the world that we've mm-hmm. made a a new start of something. Yeah. And why not do it like that? It's like it's a cool yeah. it's a cool thing to keep as a tradition. And, and I think I think humans need tradition. Mm-hmm. Like I like even after like deconstructing and everything, I don't feel like I like most people. I feel like I don't fit into the like oh I'm spiritual but not religious. Yeah. Because I I totally get why people say that. Like there's a lot of like messed up things about religion, mm-hmm. and especially right now, like what we're talking about, people are upset at the church. Mm-hmm. But I think we still need some tradition yeah we need some structure and there are people that are hungry for that 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 are returning back to the orthodox styles because they want those traditions yeah i've noticed that too there's a movement away from the community church Mm -hmm. back to like lutheran and catholic because there's so much order to it and liturgy and yeah they they you're hungry for the thing you don't have Mm -hmm. normally you know yeah so yeah, I mean, I, I went from, like, going to Good News Gathering, which is, like, this super, like, mm-hmm. seeker-friendly church. Like, 600 mm-hmm. people go there every Sunday. And then, like, I'm in a Quaker meeting house with, like, 30 people. Yeah. There was it's one really across from our house in Sabina that probably had, like, six. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I used to watch it get out on Sundays. It was fun. <laughs> but it's, like, I really appreciate that after, like, I love stripping it down. Yeah. And like really reevaluating, mm-hmm. like they don't sing hymns that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. They're not even particularly like good at singing. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's this Quaker joke about how Quakers are really bad at singing because they're always reading ahead yeah. in hymnals to figure out whether they believe it or not. That's, that's a joke for Unitarian churches too. Oh really? Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody believes something different, so you read ahead to make sure you agree with it before you sing it. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, same idea. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, and they do silent worship. That's cool. And so, I I love it. Yeah. Like you just sit in silence, and yeah. like there's no stress of like, am I saying the right prayer? Right. Or like, am I doing the right translation of the Lord's prayer? Yeah, and we don't have to always freak out that these three songs don't flow into each other right, and then into the yeah, prayer right. Like yeah. maybe we could just be silent sometimes. Yeah. Maybe I mean, worship could just be prayer. Do you think anything good has come from the seeker-friendly movement? Uh, enthusiasm, <laughs> maybe. Um, people, at, at least from the worship end, like that. It, it's led people to try a little harder. I think with worship. Um, not that I don't. I don't believe that God's expecting us to be in key. I don't think that He cares that we sing really? in key or that the chords fit together perfectly or that because. Mm-hmm. The first time you practice a song, it's still worship. If the words are worship, it's still worship. If you're singing it as worship, mm. you know. So, I don't. I don't look at it as a quality thing that is a concern. Um, I pretty, feel like. Are you pretty concerned with the words? I don't want to sing something unless I feel like I'm singing it as worship. Like there are songs that I won't sing that mm. people call worship songs that are not worship. I'm proud to be an American. Yeah. No. Well, like, even like, <laughs> like. Um, Gosh, there's there's several songs that are like, um, they're actually more centered around the person than to God. Like, um, mm. that what is the song that what is what does that make me? 
like you say all these things about God, and then what does that make me? Ugh. Like it ends. You're like basically saying the whole thing was about me, and I'm worshiping me in the end. Or, uh-huh. or like, like um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, for example. Take an old school hymn. Turn your eyes mm-hmm. upon Jesus. That's that's you singing to a person that you want to turn their eyes upon Jesus. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? Whoa, I didn't even think you about know, that. I sang that this morning in church. Did you? Yeah. Well, I actually went to a United Methodist church this morning. Oh, okay. So did that, I. That's what, that's what we sang. Yeah. <laughs> the, there are songs like that that we call them worship and we sing them mm-hmm. directed toward worship, but they're songs to each other. Or, I mean, even like, mm-hmm. how great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? Like, mm-hmm. you're singing how great is our God, which is great. But then we're also singing, sing with me. Like, hey, I want you to sing with me. Mm. Like, I get very into, like, I'll sing the How Great Is Our God part and not the sing with me part. Because I, I would rather just sing the How Great Is Our God over and over and over again. Yeah. Than to sing any other words that fill yeah. that, you know. I've heard some people critique the song, like, um, Our God is Greater, Our God is Stronger. Mm-hmm. As being, like, very, like, Old Testament, like, yeah. militaristic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's what you grow up in, like, you're, you're going to see God in different ways, and that's what's going to come out in the way you, you know, yeah. the way you view him is the way you, you write your songs. But yeah. there's a lot of songs that I feel like are geared more toward us singing them together than they are about us singing them to God. Mm, I didn't think about that. Um, but you... as, a, like, at the secret church, though, I feel like we've, we're because we're trying to wow an audience basically it's it's led us to try um to put more emotion into our music and that we can take that emotion and use it and and like for our own like you know if i had never heard a seeker church mm-hmm. put you know extra parts to a song or like add different dimension to a song i wouldn't have heard that song in my head again later and thought about it as hmm. for my own worship as easily as I, or as mm-hmm. you, you hear it more and you know, it sticks with you more mm-hmm. to keep that worship alive for you. Even if it doesn't sound like that in your head mm-hmm. um, versus, you know, just some other random song, unless it's a really awesome, like there are some hymns that like my Jesus Lord and savior, I give myself to thee for thou and thine atonement did give thyself for me like, mm, that's, like yeah that's good stuff. i owe no other master my heart shall be thy throne like that's powerful words and those words don't leave me i can't get rid of those words but it's just sung with an organ you know like, mm-hmm. if it's powerful enough it works i guess mm-hmm. i'm contradicting myself right now <laughs> so you want to talk about this on the plane that's going down i wouldn't this would never <laughs> come up on the plane no. none of this would no. yeah but it's just saying the word seeker just throws me into a hold just tangent of man because that's what's led us away from like every fight we've ever had with the church has been because Mm -hmm. of this view that the church is built on that that we're supposed to be inviting and welcoming because it's a it's a place of solace and comfort and protection and warmth and i you know i've i've recently come to the conclusion too that it's really hard to have any sort of constructive conversations in such a large church Mm -hmm. especially especially with this like LGBT group I'm a part of. Imagine having that in a mega church. Wouldn't happen. Where it's too scary. Yeah. Like y- you can only have those sorts of tough conversations in much smaller settings. Mm-hmm. And and how beautiful is the church in those settings? Yeah. Like when we look at it mm-hmm. in those small, you know, ten to fifteen, yeah. twenty people groups. Mm-hmm. That's where like 
Good News Gathering was one of those. Good News Gathering yeah. started as a Sunday school class. Yeah, it was like and, revolutionary then. Yeah, yeah, like they wanted to be, they wanted to be their own group because like they were mm-hmm. meeting together like passionately as their own small group, and they mm-hmm. felt such a connection with each other in that small group. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into something else, and then that turned into something else. Yeah. And now they have got a building with a lot of bills that have to be paid, and they've got to make yeah, sure it's that... Yeah, cr- it's crazy seeing the life cycle of that, mm-hmm. like how you eventually become the institution. Yeah. You don't try to be, but yeah. if, you're th- if you go into it thinking that success equals people, mm-hmm. that we're only doing God's work when more people are coming to our church, mm-hmm. you eventually will hit that. Yeah. And that's, that's not a truth. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not biblical. Mm-hmm. I mean, success from the, from the Bible is I encountered a person in the world because I was just living my life and I happened to be down this road and they happened to be on this road too. Yeah. And we met each other in this place and I mm-hmm. shared my life with them and they went away mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. That's, that's the biblical narrative you know, for the church. That makes me think of too... Um, I met this guy in Cincinnati who was like very like disenfranchised from the whole like crossroads like yeah. phenomenon, and so he he was really into Shane Claiborne. Yeah, are you familiar no, with him? No, I don't know that one. Uh, so he's this guy from like he's he's this Christian evangelical who's very outspoken about like like peaceful nonviolence and like abolishing the death penalty and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that and like Christian monasticism, that movement, and he came up with this idea of like Christian intentional communities mm-hmm. and they started one in this neighborhood in Cincinnati and mm-hmm. it's basically like there, there's this church in this neighborhood is it Marymount? it's Norwood okay um, so it's close to Crossroads yeah and most of the people it's a small church and most of the people who go there live within walking distance of the church mm-hmm. and as a result they end up watching each other's kids, like, really growing together yep. as a community. There's one of those in Marymount. Oh, there is? That they actually, they have a landscaping business. <sighs> like, the, the the church, like, they all work in this business, and the money goes, like, they, it's like they're using all the resources for building themselves in this church and keeping themselves afloat. No together. way. Yeah. Wow, capitalism. Yeah, well, I mean, and <laughs> sort of, it's, it's, this, it's the act scripture of, you know, all of your possessions are one together and, like, you have everything in common. Like, mm. they're all, like, living together in this community mm. and they're all working together in this community and they're worshiping in their work and, like, mm. it's, like, they're, they're perpetuating their own life. Yeah. Because, I mean, we all have to do business. We all have to conduct business. So yeah. they've, they've built a business together that they can then use to help keep their house afloat and, you know, and, and keep a ministry going. Yeah, you know, I, I love that, too, because I think for the longest time, churches were so involved with communities. Mm-hmm. It was so ingrained in the community, like mm-hmm. down to the block. Yes. And all of a sudden, just like how we commute to, like, Kroger Marketplace, mm-hmm. we commute to a church that we really like. Mm-hmm. Like, for a while, like, I was also the reason, like, my parents moved to Hillsborough. Because I was like, Dad, why are you driving 35 minutes to go to this church that you think is cooler than the (laughs) ones we have here? Like, why don't you just move there Mm -hmm. and plant yourself in the community that it's focusing on? And I'm a big believer in that, and I think it's really effective when you have a smaller church, like what you're talking about. I mean, there's nothing that says it needs to be bigger than what your, you know, your neighborhood community can be. I mean, mm-hmm. that's who you are. Yeah. Um, 
And that's with the youth perspective too. Like um, one of the other youth ministers from Washington Courthouse when back when we were still in Sabina, the remember the the Washington Courthouse groups. There was Southside and was it Dow uh, Tippett? No. Oh. Um, the guy that was at Southside was Dave Plumley. Oh. Uh, and Dave and I were pretty good friends, and mm-hmm. Derek Tennant was the other one. The three of us did stuff together. Oh, okay. Well, Dave and I were just talking. Like He saw the video that I put up on Big Acronym because he follows some of the stuff on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And he lives like pretty far away now, but he had gotten out of youth ministry and then got back into it and then got out of it again. Mm-hmm. And he said that he's come to a realization of it too. And so like we're on the same page about this, that that really it's it's not about – planting a thing that you call a church like you don't say this is our ministry and this is our church and this is what Mm -hmm. we're doing and you come to us that we're we're all ministers we're all sharing the gospel in our lives that if i'm if i'm really good with video stuff or i have a lot of connections to making films and things then i'm going to really be able to speak well to kids that are interested in that and i can I can share my life through them yeah and if my life is already bleeding jesus then Mm -hmm. it's going to come out of me yeah. And then that becomes my ministry. I don't have to set them aside and say, this is our time for it, and this is our place for it, mm-hmm. and this is what it is all the time, and it's not that anywhere else, but mm-hmm. you're coming here for that. You know, I am I just want to start a YouTube channel and a discussion that the kids can come to, and if they want to start learning how to make short films out of it and videos mm-hmm. out of it, and, like, we, mm-hmm. we build a media thing out of it where they can go and do their own media things, then I'm doing my part as who I am as a minister. Yeah. And he's, he's in the same boat with, like... Um, like the he does like social work I think up there and he's involved in karate up there and like he's like after I watched Cobra Kai on YouTube which is like the the spinoff of the Karate Kid mm. he's like that really inspired me to get back to this that you don't have to be the youth minister of this church to be a youth minister like you're gonna be more effective as mm. as the karate coach who's also a believer who shares his life. Uh, with the kids who do karate. And if everybody did that, if everybody shared their faith in their life with their people in their community, the church would be, you know, remarkable. It would just be booming. We just wouldn't see it because it wouldn't be happening in one building. Mm -hmm. It would be in little lives here and here and here, spread around everywhere with like this karate dojo and this art room and, you know, that you would just spread that way organically. Mm You know, I feel like we do see a lot of that in contemporary evangelical churches where you have more of the priesthood of believers where everyone, like, kind of chips in. Mm -hmm. And I think with a lot of these, like, Catholic and mainline churches, you put all your resources into one pastor. Mm -hmm. And on one side of that, I really like it because you have, like, these mainline pastors who really know their stuff. Yeah. And you don't always get that in, like, these evangelical churches. Right. Where it's almost like, not that you have to have, not that you have to have a master's in divinity mm-hmm. to preach or anything, but I feel like we see so much pastoral malpractice, mm-hmm. like, in evangelical churches because we have this distrust of people who educate themselves on, like, how to read the Bible. Yeah. But all of that... And, is also presupposing that the sermon is an essential part. Yeah, you know, you're totally right. Yeah. Because in reality, I mean, how many times can you learn a lesson from just the interactivity of something and like you're mm. in a moment with somebody and you yeah. see God in a thing and not in the mm. words that were spoken. Even. Yeah. Um, so you're not even necessarily a believer in that. Like we have to have a place that we go to every Sunday morning. Right. 
I just I've been in it my entire life. That's all mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. So it's like that's what I've always resorted to, but it's it's always me resorting to it out of some sort of failure of my own heart really like mm. i like i'm giving in mm. by doing it and be and it's the it's the construct of the area like it's what everybody yeah. else is doing and i i i get tired of fighting sometimes mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's it's tough for an infj <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we have a lot of fights and we're usually in the minority in our fights but yeah i yeah. i don't I don't think we should ever, it's almost always because of real estate, that we feel like we have to keep returning back every Sunday. And, like, we have campaigns, like, we've contributed, like, we've made a pledge that every week we're going to give this amount of money because this is the church that we belong to. And, like, that's a misdefinition of the word church. That's, a, like, like we, that's not the church, mm, you know. Yeah. We don't have to feel like we have to give to the church. We should be giving to God. If that means that one week... I happen to give all my money to a mission field. Yeah. I, you know, if somebody that needs it at the moment or somebody's like hurting, like struggling with cancer or something mm-hmm. and I can give them of my money, that's me saying, okay, God, I don't need this money to survive. Mm-hmm. You're going to take care of me. I will give the money where I need to give it and not necessarily I'm being given, I'm told to tithe. I've got to give my money to this church every yeah. Sunday so that yeah. they can pay their bills and pay the salary of the guy who's... Yeah, a lot of people you know, would disagree with you. A lot of people would, yes. <laughs> because somehow they see it as it's a it's biblical that we give Mm -hmm. to the church quote unquote and the church as whatever scripture you're using to defend that the church did not look like it does now and it was not a place Mm -hmm. with a mortgage and a capital campaign it it wasn't yeah the church may have just been people in their house that were meeting together and for them giving meant the stranger in their community that needed help they brought them in and helped them and fed them and gave them money so to be on their way and to travel yeah i never think about it in that context well maybe you should (laughs) all right well (laughs) grow up steven (laughs) this has been fun (laughs) i'm sorry i i don't get to to go off talking like this a lot but this is it's all the same stuff as i was talking about 10 years ago it's just now there seem to be a few more people that are that are like, hey, you know, that kind of parts of that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the seeker thing has kind of reached its peak. We're we're seeking new things now, and not the seeker church as much. Yeah. Um. So it's the, for for us, this whole thing is just let's let's start over. Let's just do a do over and pretend it's 2009 again, and we're leaving Sabina and we're going to start a ministry the way we feel like God wants us to be ourselves. And if that's just us in a house, as a family, would you be would you see this something that could um, be more than just youth ministry at some point? How? What do you mean? Like more than just for youth, the youths. Well, it's what actually the discussion I had with Jordan about it in mm-hmm. the last last week. Um, for the meeting itself, like we're if we're having a structured time of getting together weekly and saying we're going to have a discussion time together, we're mm-hmm. gonna we'll have worship. Like we're gonna the parents are gonna be invited once a month. Mm. Like you come with oh, the kids really? and we'll all worship together. Um, but that discussion time, that part of it will be filmed. Part of it's like a just a, like this podcast around mm-hmm. a table. Um, if you're in college and you still speak that language, if it still makes sense to you, then by all means come to the conversation mm-hmm. because it's not. A curriculum. It's not like we're saying now, this is for junior hires, and it's going to be very awkward to have college age or vice versa. Mm. It's a conversation. If you speak the language of the conversation, then then sure, be there. Mm. And then if if we find from that that there's you know like 
a bunch of 25 year olds that are still wanting to be a part of that that don't that they they're needing something to cling to and there's a there's you know five or six of them that are organically forming in that then we say okay here's a group that we can pull out of that and and let's meet with them in the, in our house at a different time or like try to build mm-hmm. them separate from that um, and then and watch where where it could you know like if I could pull out a handful of this demographic that really could get deeper as themselves, you know, their niche, mm-hmm. teach them how they can lead a group together. Like they go into the school and do like what Brad was talking about in his podcast where they have a lunch Bible study and they, they start, you know, mm-hmm. teach them to do that so that they can teach their friends Yeah, where it's not me growing some big empire, but rather mm-hmm. I can isolate this group and say, this is a decent amount of people that really could grow further together yeah. I'll help teach them what they can do and I'll work with them and whatever they can come to me with questions mm-hmm. and let it grow like that where it's never one place expanding but it should it should expand um, just with me being able to impart this the zeitgeist concept mm-hmm. that we have an obligation to contribute to our zeitgeist to make to make the world what we want to put into it like everybody has their obligation to contribute beauty and art and justice and and love and and if i can teach the kids to do that like i have to do that in the way that fits my skills and talents and and like Mm -hmm. just like everybody else does Mm -hmm. so i i'm kind of picturing this being like that where we'll have our weekly group if it grows at all, you see how that group could could form into its own separate mm-hmm. meeting things, and that hopefully the focus still is on creating new, original, beautiful content that glorifies God, yeah. and that those kids like that start understanding that they can create, will be encouraged to go create, and that like I could help plug them into like the local churches that they go to on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. where like they can like contribute art to worship, they can mm-hmm. like start playing music if they're not they can help run the sound and video and like giving of what they're learning you know and even if it's not their church like if they're not going anywhere i could try to help plug them into a church that has no sound guy that has no video person that's not doing any art stuff that's Mm. not putting pictures up you know whatever Mm. uh, and allow them to get plugged into somewhere where they can start contributing art you know to the zeitgeist like the christian Mm -hmm. perspective in in the zeitgeist so you'll still work with the the church structure, but this is and whatever the, loose definition you want to call yeah. it the church. It it yeah. is it's it's people being the church. It's not okay. Where there's no affiliation with any specific church. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I I honestly don't even want to get support from a specific church. I mean, if they wanted to give, that's fine. But yeah, I don't ever want to feel like it's You're becoming. Yeah, to I'm obligated someone. to do certain things because they've given whatever like because once you start getting regular contributions like yeah how would you fund it i didn't think about that i'm i'm not <laughs> i don't know oh okay. uh, I'm, <laughs> what i'm what i'm hoping is that we seek first the kingdom of god and then all these things will be added I, i've got mm-hmm. other businesses like mm-hmm. i'm not pushing any any of them right now i i, I have other jobs I'm trusting that if I wholeheartedly pursue ministry the way that I can pursue ministry, mm. that God will provide you know, new new business 
contacts or new job opportunities or ways for me to fund my family needs so that the ministry can continue on its own. Mm. And I mean, we are, it is a 501c3 nonprofit. Like we are registered, like you could donate to it. Oh, really? Um, just for the legal purposes, it has to be. I mean, we couldn't, I, yeah. I don't know that we really could do it otherwise. I mean, if it was just in our house, sure, we just invite mm. people to our house and do it. Um, but because we already had the camps in place, you know, it, mm-hmm. we've already got some kind of structure. So let's, let's build on that structure and make it a thing, like a real thing that people mm-hmm. could follow. Um, with like the the YouTube channel and everything, um, yeah, you so, probably have a lot of kids from your camps that yeah would be interested. I think so, and and around the camp there are several churches that they're just too small to have a structured youth ministry, so those kids mm-hmm. are just kind of left to be on their own. Yeah, um, I I want to be a, a resource for them so that they mm-hmm. feel a belonging to a group and they can grow in a group. Yeah, um, that's not built around their school or mm-hmm. one specific church. Um, that it, I, I expect that there will be people, because there always are with anything, if you're pursuing God, there are going to be people who are like, hey, I want to support you in this. Yeah. Like when I was still at Sabina, when we first began this process and I met with my mentor, I'm like, hey, I want to start a church and we want to, we want to create this new ministry. He's like, well, what do you need? I'm like, well, if we, we could start with just like one sign, we could rent a sign, like a little billboard for $200 for a month, just rent a billboard that just has a website and just explains who we are, whatever. It'll probably cost about $200. Literally within 48 hours, Tommy Michael just came to my house. He's like, Uh I feel like God wants me to give you $200. Oh yeah. I believe that that kind of stuff happens. Like if you're pursuing ministry, there will be people that are just like, they feel like they should be giving you money. Either it's through a business, it's through a job, or it's Mm. just them saying, here, here's money. So you have to have the license and the, the legal stuff in place to be able to accept that money. Yeah. Um, so it's there, and I'm, people will, and that's fine. But I'm not. I don't ever want to think of man. We've got to have seven churches support us this month, mm. you know, to stay yeah. afloat. Like, no, I'm going to pursue ministry full full force, whether it's my job or not. Yeah, I imagine you'd feel really strange once you start drafting a business plan for a yeah. ministry. <laughs> yes. That's when I have to stop with anything. Like, yeah. And like every time we've been in a church where there's a meeting like this is that's it's the point where it stops if we ever sit in a meeting where the people in the church say how can we create a spreadsheet to keep track of the people that haven't been here for three weeks Um, what's the system that we can use to let them know that we've noticed that they're not here and mm -hmm. how do we get them back whenever i sit in that meeting that's when i'm not so if, if that were to ever happen with my own thing, or if I ever catch mm-hmm. myself saying, what can I do to keep track of the people who I haven't seen in two weeks to let them know, like, that's... So you, you never thought about that when you're at Sabina, right? I don't want to. It, like, it shouldn't matter. We shouldn't worry that we have to get people back. If they've moved on to another church, they're, it's same team, you know? It's they're, yeah. they're fa- They found something that's better for them to worship. That's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they've just given up on God altogether, I want to go seek them out. Mm-hmm. But I should be organically noticing and saying, hey, mm-hmm. I, I really feel like this person hasn't been here. I haven't seen them in a lot, and it's mm-hmm. kind of tugging on me. I want to just go to their house personally and not – the church has a system in place for this where people are watching for who's not in the pews, and we're going to send out a form letter to them in the mm-hmm. mail that they know. Dear blank – we have noticed you have not been in church for the last three mm-hmm. weeks. We would like to see you come back because we miss you. We want you to feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. You know, when it becomes that, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember that feeling too, like getting involved with 
campus ministries at UC. We're almost two hours now. Oh, we really? are killing this. Wow, nice. <laughs> well, is this the longest one you've done? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, totally. Wow. Okay, yeah. nice. Congratulations. There's balloons upstairs. Look at Sweet. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another Big Acronym Podcast. Stay tuned next week for the final part of the conversation with Stephen. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out BigAcronym.com because our group is starting in 10 days. Check it out. BigAcronym.com. Thanks.